Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. you guys doing? This is the last Sunday before Christmas. I thought you guys would be ecstatic about that. Last Sunday before Christmas. This is actually, have we got some sound? Here we go. Um, this is actually the last sun. this is my last message for um, 2020 actually, because next Sunday we're going to be up the hill and we're going to have Tim. Um, Tim was with Kalamunda this morning and Tim Healy was with us last week on Sunday morning. So um, I thought I'd give my brother a bit of a workout. So see how he goes next week. Um, this message in particular has actually been a bit of a labour um, this week, um, so we'll see how we go. Um, and it would have been nice if um, everyone didn't go on holidays and they were actually here. But in any case, we're over here. The title of today's message is, You Can't Dictate My Joy. You Can't Dictate My Joy. Anyone like getting pushed around? Who really hates getting pushed around? Who hates it? Who hates it when you actually see someone else get pushed around? That just does your goes. Like I cannot believe it. I hate bullies. I hate people getting pushed around. Ah, oh, I wonder as we go through this message, if you would actually come to the realization that so many times we actually do get pushed around, and there are so many things in this world which would actually deter, will try to determine and dictate the terms and conditions by which you can rejoice and by which you can be glad. You can't dictate my joy. So I don't care what you do. You can't dictate my joy. And some of you guys should like, turn to your neighbor and say, you can't dictate my joy. I mean, you've been doing it up until this point, but you can't dictate my joy. You can't dictate. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. The Christmas narrative, we're in Advent. This is the Sunday leading into Christmas, the last Advent Sunday. And... Um, the Christmas narrative boldly promises something that is so desperately needed and so desired in our world, yet seems to be so elusive. The promise, the declaration is joy to the world. And you have to ask yourself, well, why in the world can you declare such a bold thing? How could you possibly even say such a thing? I mean, don't you realize we're in a pandemic right now? Don't you realize that, that, that we, we've got this global financial crisis and things are like turning upside down and inside out? How can you boldly declare joy to the world? Well, quite easily, the Lord has come. That's how you can do it. Joy to the world because the Lord has come. The first advent has come. Are you happy about that? Have you considered that this December? Have you thought about it? That God, He actually took a moment in time and history where He literally ripped through time. He ripped through space. He came and invaded His story, which He was writing, and He actually moved His mighty arm, and He did something that cannot be undone. He actually came and He, on the world. Have you thought about that? That's an amazing thing. And God actually came to reclaim what was rightfully His. And when He did that, He started a renovation of this entire cosmos. Has anyone ever done a renovation before? I'm terrible at house renovations. I'm pretty good partnering with God in His renovation, though. Anyone else like that? Anyone else pretty good in partnering with Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done kind of renovations? Yeah? 
I hope you're kind of good at that because what God had in mind when it came to this renovation of the entire cosmos, he had in mind that he wanted his family to get involved. So he started something that cannot be undone. He began something which no one's going to be able to erase. Joy to the world. His mighty arm has already moved. The first advent's already come, which is so good to know. It's really good to know. The problem is, obviously, we live between two advents. I've said it very, very often over many years. The first advent, Jesus comes very, 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 very small. Very small. Next advent, it's not going to be so small, is it? No, 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 not going to be so small. He came small the first time. He ain't coming small the second time. You know, he, he came first to actually save the world. Second time, he's going to bring complete judgment on this present evil age and he's going to do away with suffering. He's going to do away with brokenness. He's going to consummate his kingdom and he will rule as our rightful, good, just king in this world. We're waiting for that day. We're waiting for that day. The problem is we've got joy in this world or joy to the world, but the light of joy flickers and fades between the Advents. Has anyone else found that in their life? There are times where joy fades, where it seems like we sing about and we read about things which are not experienced in our life. We get bullied another way, in other words. We get pushed around and other things determine our rejoicing and other things determine our joy, yet that does not take away that joy has come into this world. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, not only has joy come into this world, but you have a spiritual fruit which is called joy ever present within you all the time. All the time. We're going to look at this um, promise, and I'm going to have another look at the um, narrative according to Luke. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke um, about peace. You remember that? That was a good message, wasn't it? It was fantastic. I'll listen to it myself because I needed to hear it. Um, Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to 14 from the NLT. I'm going to read this, and um, we'll move on from it. So at the time of the Roman Emperor Augustus, uh, sorry, at, the, at that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census where Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from a village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant, and while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in a field nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior said, uh, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. This is God's word, and it is a good, good word. Would you agree? Yeah. Just in case you missed it, or just in case those shepherd boys missed it on that night, 
Listen to what the messenger of heaven, or in other words, to use a biblical word, listen to what the angel, which means messenger, delivering a message, declares. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. In other words, the message from heaven is, I bring you great news that will bring great joy to all people. That's a pretty good message to hear from heaven. But here we are in 2020. And I reckon 2020 is one of those years where things seem to have fallen off the wagon a little bit. Anyone agree? Seems at um, this time last year, we never would have envisioned or anticipated that 2020 would be a year like this. It seems like 2020 was definitely that year where the scaffolding that was holding our progressive Western secular world has started to fall away like a tattered little band-aid that falls off a toddler as they come out of the swimming pool. Have you ever had that kind of thing? It's absolutely weak. And we're expecting this little band-aid to hold together the entire world. (laughs) It's not happening. The Enlightenment offered the world an idealized formula which the Western world had really, really hoped was going to be true. And the ideal formula went something like this. It suggested and it stated this. It said that freedom plus democracy plus science plus education plus technology equals a millennium of peace and prosperity. That's what it promised. 2020 has shown us that the formula simply is not adding up. But that is what the Enlightenment promised us. And that is the philosophy that the Western secular progressive world of which we are part of is actually following. And we're still trying to add those numbers up. But 2020 has actually showed us that that scaffolding, that that formula is as good to us as a little band-aid falling off a little kid coming out of the pool. It has no strength in it whatsoever has no strength in it whatsoever. In fact, this is, this is the predicament the Western church is in at the moment, if I can be honest. This is the moment of greatest opportunity for us as followers of Jesus Christ. We have an avenue and we have an opportunity to actually tell about the good news of Jesus Christ, to actually point out and say, you know, the things that you believed in, that great big piece of scaffolding on which you pinned all of your hopes, this, this utopian, this promised utopia that was actually promised, that's failing, that's falling apart. The problem is, is we don't know enough of the story to engage in that dialogue so we can actually bring about good news. That's the problem right now, but we are in the moment of greatest opportunity that we have ever been, especially if you're a young adult. Because young adults, you're going into university right now and they're going to deconstruct everything, which is great. Deconstruct it, but then reconstruct it again. But understand and recognize that the things that they've been trying to tell us, they are literally falling apart in 2020. Humanity's greatest invention, globalization, what has that done? Globalization is going to do so much. Yeah, it even brought coronavirus to the entire world. Just by simply someone's hopping on a plane. That's how vulnerable we are, you see. You see, the formula doesn't add up, and 2020 has actually shown us if we are going to be engaged thinking Christians. Any thinking Christians here? Yeah? It's good to engage in what's happening in culture and to ask questions like that. I think even the most casual observation will show us that many people are experiencing a loss of joy and a lack of hope. Wouldn't that be, great? Wouldn't that be right? There's a loss of joy... There's a lack of hope. 
And what happens is that this tends to lead to boredom, apathy, depression, which so often spirals out of control. And people find it really, really hard to be motivated and self-disciplined. And individuals, they actually start turning to these diminishing stimulants like substance abuse, like social media, like technology addictions and destructive behaviors. Because a loss of joy in our world is um, the outcome of a loss of purpose and real real biblical hope. And that's exactly what Brett talked about last week. Biblical hope. And into this world, into this world, because it sounds pretty bleak, doesn't it? It sounds like, Dave, like you're really encouraging me tonight. (laughs) This is the last Sunday before Christmas. Dave, joy to the world. (laughs) But into this predicament, into this persuasive culture that's happening right now, into this world as if to provide a platform to rally a subversive, rebellious protest to this pervasive human condition. Scripture speaks clearly, succinctly, and definitively. Just listen to these couple of verses. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 6 says this, Always be... Joyful. Always. If you're going to do Bible memory verse, you can remember that one, right? Always be joyful. I mean, always means joyful. Always means always. (laughs) Philippians 4 verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. No, what does it say? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I think Paul's trying to make a point here, isn't he? He's not just saying rejoice in the Lord always. He's like, no, wait a minute, you're not taking me seriously. Rejoice in the Lord always. And by the way, I'm writing from a prison right now. Rejoice in the Lord always. And oh, by the way, I'm waiting probable martyrdom right now. And I'm going to tell you to rejoice in the Lord always. And I'm going to say it again because if I can rejoice and I'm facing probable death just around the corner, surely you can rejoice. That's what he's saying. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice. It's this word in this world that seems to be having this absence of joy. We are commanded as followers of Jesus Christ to rejoice. Rejoice. Do you feel the joy? Do do, do you always rejoice? Anyone like this? Does does anyone always feel the need? Like, I'm always going to rejoice. You know what? You you know what? I just went to the shops and someone got their trolley and they ran over my big toes. Like, ah, seriously, I'm going to rejoice. Praise the Lord. Amen. You know? Anyone like that? No, we're not always like that. Yet the command is to rejoice in the Lord, not sometimes, but rejoice in the Lord always. Because joy is something that is so, so significant and so important. Christian joy was a central ingredient um, that actually changed the known world, and it started with Rome. Christians were regularly accused unfairly. I think it's funny. Imagine if we actually had the ability to transport a couple of us Christians from 2020 back to, like, like the first century or something, and like, we get offended. You know what? Like Someone didn't talk to me in the corridor. I'm, just, I'm not going to talk to them. How, how do you reckon we go? No, no, no. These early Christians, they, they were, they were uh, accused regularly unfairly. In fact, in the Roman Empire, if, these were, if things are going wrong and they're, they're living in a world where they're, they're worshipping so many different gods, and the, the ideology was, my goodness, if things are not going well right now, we must have upset the gods. And if we've upset the gods, you need to look around, well, who, who did it? Did you upset the gods or did you upset the gods? I mean, who did it? And the obvious answer was, it's those Christians. They're the ones who upset the gods. Because it seems a little bit odd to us right now, but the Christians were known as atheists. 
back in the first century. That's right, because everyone else worshipped so many different gods and they only had Yahweh as they, Jesus as they worshipped and, and they were known as atheists. So they're looking around and they're saying, it's their fault. And obviously if it's their fault, you blame them. And if you start blaming them, well, that's what the first century Christians had to put up with. God's angry because of the Christians. So we're going to treat them unfairly. Christians... The, in the early church, they regularly had their possessions stripped of them unfairly, taken away. Could you imagine that, your beautiful guitar? Man, it's your fault, man. I'm going to take your guitar. I'm taking it right now. You know what? I'm not even going to ask you for permission. Give me that guitar. I'm running out of here. You'd start crying, wouldn't you? You'd start crying, you know? What if you had a nice house, a really nice house? Anyone got a nice house? You can't have your house anymore. I'm taking your house. You've upset the gods. We're gonna... This is the world in which they lived. Okay? They were punished unfairly. Punished unfairly. And yet they still rejoiced. And yet they still sang. They still counted themselves worthy to be called followers of Jesus. Crazy. Could you imagine taking 2020 Christians and placing them 2,000 years ago? We might learn a couple of things. I don't know, but I think it would be a different experience, wouldn't it? Listen to this response from um, Peter and the early apostles after they were thrown into prison, then miraculously rescued from prison, and then they went on to get a flogging. But this all started because the, the religious rulers, they were jealous because there were things happening. Thy kingdom come was happening. There were miracles. The proclamation of the word was happening, and people got jealous. So a Pharisee named Gamaliel, he's actually speaking, and he says this in, in Acts 5 verse 18. Uh, 5 verse 38, sorry, he says this. So my advice is leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourself fighting against God. The others accepted this advice. So they called the apostles, had them flogged. Then they ordered them never... <laughs> again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Verse 41, the apostles left the high council rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they continued to teach and preach the message, Jesus is the Messiah. They're in prison they're rescued miraculously to get out of prison. They're called back only to get an absolute thrashing. And after their flogging, they leave there rejoicing because they consider themselves worthy to suffer. Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. No, rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. So joy is a really important thing. Joy is an essential ingredient that has literally changed the world. And joy is a very slippery subject that we don't really understand too much. So as I did a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to ask someone who's so much more smarter than me to actually talk a little bit about joy before I kick on, because I'm trying to take a different angle with joy if you haven't like, kind of figured that out yet. Um, so we're going to look at um, the Bible Project's um, video of joy and listen to that beautiful voice, Tim Mackey. How about you look at the screen? And um, you'll learn more from him in five minutes than you will from me in three decades. <laughs> Being in a good mood is really great. And most languages have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy, cheerful, joyful, and so on. 
The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there's kara, euphersune, or agaliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness. Now what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. Let's start with sources of joy. On page one of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. And so naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life, like growing flocks or an abundant harvest on the hills. The poet of Psalm 104 says a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. People find joy at a wedding or in their children. There's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings to your heart. However, human history isn't just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert, they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away, they rejoiced anyway. Later biblical poets looked back on this story and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. This theme appears later in Israel's story, when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires. The prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That's when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads. Happiness and joy will overtake them. And while the Israelites waited, they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it's significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God his Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God. He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, when people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice, be very glad, because your reward is great in heaven. After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. Like when the apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith or joy in the Lord. He believed it was the gift of God's spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Now this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus that his loss wouldn't be the final word. This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about. 
You just learned more in four minutes, 30 seconds than what I could possibly teach you in a lifetime. How smart are they, right? They're so, so smart. But I think Scripture's pretty clear. We can get that, that God's people, we are both commanded to rejoice and we are characterized by rejoicing. It's an essential ingredient, which means that joy is possible. Isn't that good to know? Joy is possible. I think something that's really important to know is that Christians are not immune to hardship, trial, suffering. However, when we go through difficulties and suffering, our experience is very, very different um, to the way other people will go through the same things. Um, it's, it's kind of interesting that you can be sorrowful and joyful both at exactly the same time. Both at exactly the same time. That doesn't make sense, does it? It's like, how can I have this, like, how can I be sorrowful but at the same time have this happy, joyous kind of sensation and feeling at the same time? Well, you can. You really can. Um, and it's absolutely incredible. As I said before, the problem is that we live in between the two advents. And while we are here right now, there are forces in play that are trying to dictate when and where you and I are allowed to rejoice and have joy. And our problem is we let them dictate the terms and conditions of our joy. For example, we might say, I'm only going to rejoice and I'm only going to have joy in my life when I feel happy. That makes sense, doesn't it? You just get pushed around if you're just going to be led by your emotions. Really? Seriously, emotions are great, but the, the, the moment our emotions become our master, you could be led absolutely anywhere. And life is not determined, determined by your emotions. I thank God for, my, uh, for emotions, but life should be determined by good, wise, godly decisions. And what you will actually find is that if your life is led by decisions, very often the emotions start to follow, Right? How many times have you met someone, they fall in love with the wrong person because, oh my goodness, my emotions, you know, I'm just being led by my heart. Well, that's okay, but you need to understand something that your heart can lead you to places that you don't necessarily want to go. And I'm not talking Bible, I'm talking experience. Like, I've done, who else has done dumb stuff? I mean, I've done dumb stuff. Anyone done some stupid stuff today? I'm sure you have. You don't want to admit it, but I know you have. <laughs> but, but that's the thing. Like, say, so I'm going to only rejoice when I feel happy, or I'm only going to rejoice when the house is perfect, you know? When we do this and do this, then I can sit, then I can just rejoice, and I can sit, and I can be happy, I can be content. You know, I'm, I'm only going to rejoice when the bills are paid. I'm only going to rejoice when, and yet Scripture says, no, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. But the issue is that principalities and powers, they will actually try to push their weight around and they're trying to push you and I around and say, no, 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 you can't rejoice then. You can't rejoice then. No, 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 no. You're going to have to wait before any joy is expressed in your life. You can't rejoice then. And they are trying to push and they're trying to, so to say, and they're trying to keep us from rejoicing. And that is actually very, very, very dangerous because joy is an essential ingredient in our life, not only for ourselves, but also for the entire world to actually see. Listen to this quote by um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I read it the other day and I thought it was just phenomenal. And he actually writes about the need of this kind of joy and hope as witnesses in this world. This is what he said decades ago. Okay, decades ago. He says this, if ever the world needed the witness and testimony of Christian people, it is at this present time. He said this decades ago. 
This is what he said of the world back then. The world is unhappy. It is distracted and frightened. And what it needs is to see stars shining out of the heavens in the midst of the darkness, attracting the world by rebuking that darkness and by giving a light, showing how it too can live that quality of life. It was true back then and it is true today. It's true. We talk about the darkness. We talk about this present evil age. Well, well, who is going to stand up and actually start rebuking the darkness? Well, how are you going to rebuke the darkness? Start praising. Start rejoicing. Put on your joy, right? I mean, how rebellious is it that when the world is sort of saying, the world is just getting darker and darker and darker, but we just rejoice more and more in the midst of the world saying that? How, 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 much, uh, how rebellious is it is with this 24-7 news cycle that comes into our minds over and over and in our eyes, and the images we see is just telling us of calamity and disaster and all that, and we start praising God in the midst of that. How rebellious is that? With the principalities and powers are trying to say, you can't worship here, you can't rejoice here, you can't rejoice there and say, you can't tell me, you cannot dictate my joy. You will not dictate my joy. But how many of us allow the forces of this world to dictate when and where and with whom I will rejoice? I could not care less. I will rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to rejoice, especially when I don't feel like it. Especially, especially. There is nothing... There is nothing more rebellious. There is nothing more subversive. There is nothing of more of a rebuking nature in this present evil age to say, you might like play your games with other people, but as for me and my house, we will rejoice. We will praise. There will be joy here. It is good. You know, we're supposed to be like that burning bush that Moses saw. Um, if you ever do go into the Bible Project stuff in the podcast, there is this, this brilliant series on trees. It goes to all these trees. Well, one of the trees just happens to be the burning bush. Pretty interesting tree. But we're supposed to be like that burning bush that Moses saw. And he was confused by it. He was really confused by it because he saw this bush and it was on fire, but yet it wasn't consumed. It was this bush that was a spectacle and it was pointing to the glory of God and it was something that made you turn your head and look in wonder. A follower of Jesus Christ is supposed to be like that burning bush. The world is supposed to look at us and get a little bit confused. They're supposed to have a head tilt moment because they're living in the same world that you and I are living in, yet we are burning and yet they are not. We are supposed to be pointing to something. We're supposed to be like, the, the world's supposed to be looking at us and say, you're strange. And say, yeah, I am strange. And they're so intrigued of our strangeness. And they're so intrigued and say, I really want to live that way as well. Because I encounter the same things. I'm in this broken world where there's all kinds of things. But it doesn't seem to, it's almost like you're Teflon, Dave. No, 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 no. No, no, no. I encounter suffering and hardship like everyone else, but my experience in it is different. That's the difference. That's the difference. There, that's what it is. Biblical hope, biblical joy, sorry. Here's the key. Biblical joy is generated from eschatological or biblical hope. What Brett was talking about last week, Joy is generated from hope. You have no understanding of biblical hope. 
you're not going to have any biblical joy. Okay? Our hope is something that is so secure. It's secured in the past in a death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. You can't undo the resurrection. That is done. It is anchored there, never to be undone. But my hope is anchored in the past. My hope is experienced right now in the present, but there also is a future anticipation. So my biblical hope is a past, present, and future reality. That's what biblical hope is, and no one can take that away. You can be as mean as you want to me. You can say all the things you want to say, but no one can never take that away. That's biblical hope. Isn't it good to have a hope that can never be taken away? Right? Isn't it good to have a hope that's, that is actually determined and done by everything that Jesus did and not based on it, what I do? Because I would stuff it up, right? But that's the key. It's biblical hope. And that is the reason why in our churches we keep, and in particular I keep, I keep banging on about the story of God. You need to know the story of God. You need to know where this story is going. No good saying, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and you do not know how this story ends. If you don't know how the story ends, how could you possibly have anything generated from this hope? Joy is always generated by hope. I'll give you an interesting, well, not an interesting, I'll give you a simple, simple um, example that happened to me over and over and over again. I remember when I was dating Andrea, all right? And I remember there were some days where it was shockingly, you'd have a bad day. Anyone else have that? Bad day. And um, I remember there are a couple of times like, like, like dating Andrea and like having a bad day, but, but I knew how the day was going to end, all right? I knew how it was going to end, you know? I knew it was going to end pretty good. It was going pretty good. And the, the problem is like, like you, you, you encounter different people during the day. Some of them are nice, some of them are not so nice. Okay, and, and I remember there were some days where there were not so nice people. They were like demanding things, they were wanting things, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and you know what? I, but it was okay because I knew at the end of the day, I, I knew like at the end of the day, our hands were going to touch. I was going to hold a hand. I'm talking about a story of dating because our hands don't touch now because we've got kids. <laughs> when you get married and have kids, you can't hold your, your, your wife's hand. And, and I knew that if I was lucky, I might get a kiss, right? If I was lucky. And it didn't matter what happened during the day. I was happy, I was excited, and I anticipated something that was guaranteed. And that sensation is called joy. Right? There was joy based on a future guarantee. It was generated by hope. Look what the writer says about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 to 3. I'll just read um, verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There is this correlation, there is this connection between joy and hope. There is something out in the future that generates joy for today. That's important to know. So if you and I are not aware or do not know 
or do not engage and re-engage and then re-engage and continue to re-engage in the story of God and we do not know how this story is going to end, you can't possibly think you're going to have any joy now if you don't know the end. So you have to, have to be engaged with that. And it's a really, really big issue. And the reason why it's a big issue is because life is hard. Anyone else have experienced that? Life can be hard, man. It can be really, really hard. Have you had a hard year so far? I've had a hard year, man. Like, I'm like, seriously, I'm ready to sit down at some stage. Like, seriously, I was looking forward to sitting down and watching the cricket. But those Indians, they can't bat. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Joy, it's important to know that because life is hard. And you're going to need joy in a life that gets hard. Nehemiah 8, verse 9 to 10. Um, they, they, they come to a point, they discover the law of God again, and, and there's a situation and that, that kind of happens. For the, imagine for the very first time the Word of God's open and like, you've never heard this, and like, you start hearing this again. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's why it's so important, because joy gives you strength. If you have no joy, you've got no strength. If you have no biblical hope, there's no joy that's generated. And if you have no joy, you're going to get pushed around over and over and over again. Because, man, life is hard. I'm sorry. I might be the leader of like, like this church. Actually, leader of two churches, these churches. Let me tell you, it's hard, man. <laughs> Life's hard. And because life gets hard... We all need strength, so we need to cultivate joy in our life. Joy is a product of hope, which means that joy actually is a choice that we can make. You don't need to get pushed around by these principalities and powers. I wonder if you've noticed, if you're familiar with our Christian faith, that our faith is more about feasting than fasting. Have you noticed that? Oh, we should be the best eaters on the face of this earth. You know, there's more feasting than fasting. <laughs> One thing I've observed, which is kind of interesting, especially in light of having to cultivate joy, I have, I've encountered and I, I, I can be involved in dialogue with a lot of Christians, and there seems to be like somehow, sometimes we sabotage the opportunities we have to cultivate joy because we've got these traditional ideas or we want to appear spiritual. Um, and what, what happens is that we sound Christian, but our, our words are actually quite hollow because we say things that actually sabotage our ability or opportunity to cultivate joy. Have you heard this one? I thought I'd just throw, just slip in just a, just a, a, a seasonal one. Christmas is about his presence. P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. -E -E, not about presents. Has anyone heard that one? Right? Well, why can't it be both? It's either one or the other. Are you kidding me? It's about his presence, not about presence. 
Oh, so seriously, the, ma the, the, the Magi, like seriously. <laughs> Come on. This is what happens. Like, in your experience, have you noticed something that happens inside of you when you see a child open a gift? Have you noticed something? What about when an adult opens a gift? If I had the time, like every year we need to watch the Santa Claus 2 movie, right? And there's this scene where it is like the secret Santa kind of scene. And like there's this dreary, dreary party and like, like the Santa, like don't judge me, like the Santa, Santa Claus stuff. Seriously, don't judge me. <laughs> but there's this, there's this party, these old guys, and they get all these retro gifts that they love and it just changed their eyes and all that. Like even with, have you seen an adult as they open a gift? It's incredible. Well, what about when you receive a gift? Have you noticed something changes? Or what about when you give a gift to someone? So, have, you, have you noticed there's this sensation that happens inside of you? Have you ever wondered what that is? It's called joy. Hello. Sometimes we act too Christian for our own good. I know I'm right. <laughs> Someone come up to me, David, I didn't get you a present. I actually gave you something and something's gone to someone else. Like, seriously. Like, I'm going to offend so many people. It's lucky we've only got like 15 people who watch. <laughs> well, it's either presents or it's presents. Well, the Christmas story actually has both. I don't know if you've realised. It actually has both. And... Why can't we embody the Christmas story? Because we are supposed to embody the kingdom of God. So why would we not embody the Christmas? But, but that's just what I mean. Like we do silly things sometimes because there are opportunities along the way for us to cultivate this joy. But sometimes we do silly things. Like I, I, like I scratch my head sometimes. Roy, uh, not Roy. <laughs> Joy, <laughs> thinking of the tooth fairy, Roy. <laughs> Joy, oh my goodness. <laughs> Joy has a relational aspect. It's a rela Joy has this relational aspect. And I think even in the Christmas season, this is a really important thing. So on Tuesday night, um, Andrea and I, we took our staff out for dinner. Okay. And every year we try to take... Um, like, like people out twice, we organise our life, we organise our finances so we can just take them out. And, and um, so we were out there, um, we went to Coco's, it was beautiful, and it was like on the balcony, and the city was out there, and like what was really, really cool is uh, like Nathan had a girlfriend this time, that was amazing. <laughs> How many years? Nathan, bring someone, Nathan, bring someone. This year, yes, it was fantastic, but, but we were... Um, we, we were out there and like we were, oh, time went so fast. We were out there for like three hours, I think, maybe even more. And like we were, like we were, just, in, we were just enjoying each other's company, you know, like sort of sitting, eating good food, beautiful scenery, great conversation, nice glass of red. And, you know, it was such a great, like for me, I don't know, like other people said they enjoyed it. I thought it was such a great night. You know, I, I, I walked away from that night just feeling full. I felt content. You know, I just like felt like that was good. And, and you, you know, you, you want to know what I felt? I felt joy. When you actually get to sit and just feast with those you love. Last Saturday we were at the Meddling's place. That was a good night, wasn't it? 
No, I, I came away from that. It's like, gee, that was such a brilliant. Like, and what was really cool, we, we were together as elders. And that was the first time we caught up as elders and we didn't have to discuss anything in the church. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It was so it was It was so incredible. Hebrews says that for the joy set before him. What's the joy set before him? Jesus said, I'm longing for the day where I could sit with you again. Where I could drink this wine with you. Isn't that what he said at the Last Supper? I'm longing for the joy set before him. He endured suffering and he endured the cross. But what is the joy to actually be together, to be in relationship? What a significant season that this is a season of gift giving, that this is a season where we sit and we feast and it doesn't matter if it's a five-star restaurant or it's Vegemite on toast. That really does not matter. It is just sitting and being present and sharing and being with the ones you love and joy comes. This is how we cultivate joy in our life. So I think it's a timely reminder to us that we are people of joy. We are commanded to be people of joy. We are those who rejoice and our life is categorized and characterized by joy. We are those who cultivate joy. We fight for joy. We rejoice regardless. We refuse to have the terms and conditions of rejoicing pushed or placed upon us by principalities and powers. We refuse to be pushed around. You cannot dictate my joy. I will rejoice in the Lord Always, and I'm going to say it again, I will rejoice. Don't let things, principalities, people's attitudes, events push you around. Be people of joy. And if we cultivate joy, guess what? You've got some pretty decent strength there because life does get hard. But even in a life that does get to be hard, you are still the church of Jesus Christ. There is still work to do. And we're coming to the end of 2020, but let me tell you, we cannot serve and worship and learn as we have in 2020 without things in 2021 start to open up. And new beginnings will happen. We prophesied and we spoke about that. There is going to be new breath. There's going to be new form. There's going to be a new remnant because God is doing a brand new thing. And if you're part of His family, He wants you to win on the renovation. He started it 2,000 years ago. It's not finished yet. One day it will be finished. But for now, we've got some work to do. But don't let anyone push you around. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let me pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. Father, I pray that even as I've spoken, taken on this different track, that we've heard your word. Father, I pray that there would just be a new impetus inside of us to actually be aware of the things that are trying to push us around. Father, I ask that there would not be things in this season that would deter us. We may go through suffering, we may go through hard times, but I ask that there would be a residue, that there would be a fountain of joy that is springing up regardless of that. Father, I ask that that we would have this rebellious attitude in the midst of this world, in this present evil age, that we would be those who rejoice, who give joy, who give thanks, and that we would be the people of God in the midst of a broken and dying world. We ask for your help in this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. How about we stand up? Let's respond to God's word.